Well, we've already been talking a lot about Romans this morning. I don't know if you realize this. We started off by singing a song of Father Abraham, which is Romans 4 and Romans 9. Then we sang Holy Spirit Lead Us, which is Romans 8, the first part. Then we sang about God being a mighty, mighty fortress with a whole lot of stuff from Romans 8. And then we've talked about blessing, and the blessing of Abraham is one of the main themes of Romans. So I don't really need to preach this morning. <laughs> so we'll declare the amen and all go home. And it'll probably be the most popular sermon you've heard in the last 20 years. <laughs> Today, uh, so good to be here. I'm Mark. I uh, was a bit worried. I got a call during the week about whether I'd be here. Because uh, I was in Perth and there was a good deal of concern about whether I'd make it back. But I did. And I'm quite pleased about that. Over there for the birth of our first grandson. And I also have the same birthday as Hayley, the 9th of July. So Haley and I are kindred spirits. Anyway, I can put my cell phone away now. I always take notes on my phone while we're going through the service. So today I want to look at who are the people of God. I'm not going to use a PowerPoint, but you're welcome to um, get a copy of that through Chris and Becky. I can send it to them afterwards if it's required. Let me make sure I've got the right remote here for myself. No, this is not going to work. Okay, maybe use that. Anyway, I'll just use my finger. There we go. So, um... I'm going to talk a lot about Romans today. I'm going to take you on a journey through Romans, because to understand the place of Israel, you've got to understand Romans and Galatians uh, particularly well. And they're very difficult books. Romans is the most difficult New Testament book to interpret, which may surprise you, because many people think it's Revelation. But once you sort of get a handle on Revelation, it's not as difficult as Romans. So I'm going to take you on a journey through it. And I encourage you to go home and read Romans. You can maybe jot down the verses I mentioned today, uh, or have your Bible available, and I'm going to tell you what verses to look up as we go. So I'm looking at who are the people of God. Now, this is an ongoing discussion in the Christian world, and quite debated. Mind you, it wasn't debated until about the middle of the 19th century, when some English people came up with dispensationalism. Up till then, it was pretty well generally agreed, uh, the things I'm going to say today. So it wasn't controversial, but it has become so because of some teaching that has been prospered through dispensationalism, that's Darby and other thinkers in that period. And the church, I think, is struggling to grapple with this in certain parts of the world, to be American. So some people believe that the people of God are Christians, plus all those who are born Jews. Okay, that's some one view. Another view is that Israel was the people of God, they failed, but now that Christ has come, the church has replaced Israel. Okay, that's uh, criticized as replacement theology by some people. Some hold that Israel are the people of God until Christ, but now many Gentiles have joined them, and in the last moments of history, there will be a great turning of Israel to God. Okay, so that's kind of a dispensational view that's held by some people today. Others hold that neither Israel nor the church are the people of God, per se. Rather, the people of God are the people who believe in God, like Abraham. And now that Jesus has come, it also includes all those humans in the world who believe the gospel message. Jews like Paul, and Gentiles like Lydia and Philippi. Okay, today I'm going to explore this question of who the people of God are from Romans, whereby we find Paul's view, and Paul's view is the view of the early church that was agreed on in a great debate, which you must know about if you're going to be a good Christian, and that's in Acts 15, and there's part of your homework tonight. By the way, this is the view of all the people who formed the Presbyterian Church 
and the Reformed Church. In fact, this is the view of the whole Christian church up to the mid-19th century. And I think it's swinging back that way again now. Mainly because people keep saying Jesus is coming back, but he's not. He hasn't come back. And he's not going to come back for a long time because the gospel must be preached to all nations before Jesus comes back and there's a lot of nations that haven't heard the gospel. Anyway, that's a secondary issue. Now, the first great debate in the Christian church, we have our own debates. We've had debates about resurrection in the Presbyterian church. We've had debates about sexuality that are ongoing. The first great debate was, should a new Gentile convert, particularly a male, be circumcised and obey the law of Moses? That's the first great debate. Now, most of the New Testament is actually focused on that. So the question is, does a Gentile need to do more than believe in Jesus to be saved to do the works of the law? In other words, to become a Jew, because the law was the Jewish cultural protocols. So do they have to do the works of the law, which is to do works to be saved? Do they have to become a Jew? Is there a favoured race, is another way of putting it. The Judaizers, they are people who demand that a new Gentile convert, so I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew, when I became a Christian, they would have demanded that I then be circumcised if I wasn't circumcised, arguing that this is what the Old Testament commands are for Israel, and they carry over. Now, in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas fiercely dispute this, and they say, no, 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 no. So they debate it. In, again, let me mention Acts 15. In this meeting, Paul, Barnabas, and then agreed to by Peter and James, the kind of significant leaders of the church at that point, agreed that a new convert does not need to be circumcised and obey the law to be saved and part of God's family. All they have to do is believe in Jesus, for it's by grace you are saved through faith. And so that became the agreed position of the church. Now that was decided by those four great pillars of the church in the early church. Now as I said before, huge parts of the New Testament are focused on this. Indeed, it's the overriding question across the New Testament. Later on, the church is going to discuss slavery. And we're going to agree that slavery is wrong. But the early Christians didn't really get into that. And then, in more recent years, we've discussed the, discussed the status of woman. And we've come, many of us, to an, agreed, uh, an agreement that woman can lead and take a full part in the people of God in terms of those things. Now, in terms of this question, all of Galatians, all of Romans, Ephesians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 3, all of Hebrews... 2 Corinthians 3, and all of John's Gospel, and arguably even Matthew and Luke's writings, are about this question. So it's a huge issue, and we need to understand it very, very carefully, or else we end up with mistakes. This is what they agreed. The people of God are people of faith, not of any ethnicity. And there's this idea that a certain ethnicity has precedence. So while the people of Israel had a special relationship with God as physical descendants of Abraham, and that can't be disputed. And Paul agrees with that because he talks about their advantages in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Now that Messiah Jesus has come, no culture or race has an advantage and privilege before God. People are saved and included in God's people simply because they believe in God and His Son, Jesus. They hear the gospel, whether they're Jew or Greek, and they believe. That's what makes a person a Christian. Now, there's a couple of places where Paul cites this verse, which is very important for us to grasp. For God does not show favoritism. Romans 2.11, Galatians 2.6. God is not therefore prejudiced, is another way we could translate that. God does not favor any race or person or ethnicity. 
And that's the very thing the Judaizers wanted. They were saying, wait a second, Israel's God's special people. They've all got to become Jews. And Paul and them were saying, no, 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 mate. You've, you've, you've misread our history. That's not what they need to do. They need to believe in God. They don't have to become a particular ethnicity. By the way, this is important for mission. When the Europeans came to evangelize the Maori, the initial um, colonialists wanted, the colonials wanted the Maoris to become Pakia. That's an imposition of the same thing. And over time they realized, no, they can be Maori and Christian. And that's very, very important. By the way, a church, this is important for a church because you have a dominant culture the way you behave. Looking around the room, most of you are European. You don't realize you have a culture the way you do church. When people come into your church, we can't force them to conform to our culture. They must conform to the gospel, obviously, although we want them to come as sinners and progressively do that, but not the culture of our church. That's why our culture in our church should be something you talk about a lot. Is it becoming a barrier to people coming to your church? And all those of us in New Zealand churches dominated by white Europeans about my age need to really think about this. Well. Okay. So now I'm going to race through Romans to show you how Paul argues this. No race is above another. All people are judged on the same basis. Jew and Gentile stand before God alike. Israel is not a favoured nation before God any more than New Zealand in today's theology. The people of God and the people of faith always have been and always will be. We start with our verse that we read. Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We should all be able to say that. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That's how the gospel came. Jesus went to the Jews, preached the gospel to them. He then sent the apostles off to do the same thing, giving Israel the chance to respond to Jesus. Some did, most didn't. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, or from faith to faith, it says in Greek. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'm not coming over to sit on your knee. I'm coming to get a drink. I'm very thirsty. I made the mistake of buying a... Uh, I made the mistake of buying a big coffee on my way here. Yeah, will that work? Okay, so, Gentiles and Jews, Paul is saying in this verse, are saved on the same basis they stand before God in the same way. Romans 2, 9 to 11. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. There it is. We will all be judged on the same basis. Then later on, in Romans 2, 28 to 29, he says this, A Jew is not someone who has been circumcised physically, but someone whose heart is circumcised by the Spirit received by faith. So Paul is beginning to reinterpret Israel's history and realize not everybody who's an Israelite was part of God's people. It was those who had faith. So he says this, a person is not a Jew who is one, who's one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Every Christian who believes receives the spirit, right? If you're a Christian, you've received the Holy Spirit. Your heart is circumcised, therefore according to Paul's logic, you're a Jew. You're part of Israel. But there's another step in the process we have to go through, we'll come to in a minute. Romans 3, 9 to 20. He argues that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. We've all got the same problem. 
Whether you're born as a Jew, whether you're born as a Māori, a Pākehā, a Pacific Islander, an Asian, an African, it doesn't matter. All people are equally lost in sin and cannot be saved on the basis of law and works. Romans 3.9, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? In other words, do we Jews have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. And that's his whole argument up to that point of Romans. He restates it in chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. Ah, the law alerts us to our sin. The law does not save us. In Romans 3, 21 to 26, you've got the core of Romans, where he explains how you are justified by faith. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and prophets testify. Ah, the law doesn't save us, but it was looking forward to the day when God would save us through someone who fulfills the law. This righteousness or this justification is given through believing in Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There it is. Everyone is saved in the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which includes all the Jews and Gentiles, which we had in our last reading. And all are justified freely by grace. What a, what a wonderful God. He gives it to us free. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, whom God made publicly available as the mercy seat through faith in his blood. So what you have here is in the, in the temple there was an ark, and in the ark there were the cherubim wings, and that was God's throne. Mercy seat, where he, and he, on the day of atonement, they shed blood and went in there. Well, Jesus is all of that. He is the mercy seat, sent by God to sit on that throne. His blood was shed and scattered around the room, and we can now enter the Holy of Holies. Okay, now the fun bit comes in Romans 4. And this is where Paul has to answer that question, what about the Jews before the Holy Spirit came? Chapter 4, he says this, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. By the way, Abraham lived before the law, right? So he didn't get justified by obeying the law, it didn't exist. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Earlier in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he quotes Habakkuk. Here he quotes Genesis. The first mention of faith in the Bible, by the way. And he sees in that verse justification by faith. And then in verse 6, he says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. He cites Psalm 32. So he's saying the principle of faith is what saves a person. In other words, when you look across human history before Jesus, Anyone who believed in God, as revealed to them, is saved. Including Abraham. Including Melchizedek. Including Noah. Including unnamed people we don't know out there who were on a mountain one day and says, Wow, I believe in you. I don't know who you are. So there's a lot of people out there we don't know about because the Bible only covers some of them. Now the key comes in Romans 4, 9 to 12. Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was a Gentile when faith was credited to him as righteousness. This is the key moment where he's showing his readers 
that it's not about being a Jew because Abraham started off as a Gentile. He was an Arab. He was, as he's described in Numbers, a wandering Aramean. He says this, Therefore, is this blessing for those who are circumcised or also for those who are uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. He received circumcision as a seal or a sign of what had happened already. His faith preceded the giving of the covenant and then the rite of circumcision. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, covenant in 15, circumcision in 17. So Abraham then got circumcised, so he's the father of the Gentiles who believe, and he's the father of the Jews who believe. And we're all one family, because Father Abraham had many daughters. Yes. Just wanted to throw that in for you girls. Okay, Romans 9, 6 to 8. He says it as clear as you can imagine. And I can't see why some people can't see that. The question then is, has God abandoned Israel? Has he been faithful? Has he rejected them? Has his word failed? So Paul says this. It's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. So not all Israel are Israel. In other words, those who were born into the covenant were not automatically uh, people who are justified. Faith justifies you. So in Israel's history, there's a whole lot of people in the Old Testament that are mentioned there who won't be in eternity. Even though they were born a Jew, but there'll be a whole lot of people who will be. And there'll be people outside of Israel, like Melchizedek, who's a really cool guy in Genesis 14, who is saved, and he was a Gentile. And we also read of Gentiles included in an Israel story like Rahab. In other words, in verse 8, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Okay, whoa, what have I done here? I've done something crazy to my pattern. Oh, there it is. Okay. Now, then he goes and talks about election and predestination and all that, and our eyes close over, right? <laughs> and then he lands at the end of the chapter in the problem that Israel has. Yes, they're not elect, because God chose to elect Isaac, then Jacob, by his own desire. But then he explains why they're not elect, the people who have rejected Jesus. What then shall we say? That the, This is verse 30 to 33 of Romans 9. That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness had obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained the goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They made the mistake of thinking that if they did the works of the law and did the circumcision and ate the right foods and celebrated the Sabbath and went to the festivals, they thought that would save them. No. Faith saves them. If you're in the room today and you're wondering what you have to do to be saved, Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the gospel. What does it mean to believe? Two things. To believe the story and to submit yourself to his lordship. That's all that it means. Say, Lord, I believe in you. I'm going to obey you and live my life for you. Why? They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They stumbled over Jesus, who was a stone planted by God in Zion, so that everyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. But unfortunately, Israel did not believe in him. Romans 11. Paul continues to show that God has not fully rejected his people. He asks this in chapter 11, verse 1. I asked, did God reject his people? 
By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. There you go. He's a Jew. He shows that it's possible for an Israelite person to be saved. And then he talks about Elijah. Elijah was really frustrated in his generation because he felt like there was no one else. He was on his own. And God revealed to him 7,000 others in a cave who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And Elijah realized that God had chosen a remnant by grace. And Paul says, so too in the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. That remnant of Israel, that small group of Israel are those who believe like Paul. And if it's by grace, it's not on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Then later on in chapter 11, in verse 17, he talks about Israel, or the people of faith, I should say, as an olive tree. Rooted in God, the olive tree of God's people, the ones who believe. Those from Israel who believed in Israel's history, those outside of Israel who believed in God, having heard of him and worshipping him as God had revealed himself to them. And now people like us joining this beautiful olive tree. So he says this, if some, this is in verse 17, if some of the branches had been broken off, in other words, some of the Jewish uh, believers, see what happened was the Jewish believers rejected Jesus, and when they rejected Jesus, they rejected God, and they went from a state of faith in God to a state of lostness. Well, he's going to warn us as Christians too in the same passage about this for ourselves. If some of the branches had been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you, so that we don't consider ourselves, one of the dangers Gentiles begin to consider themselves superior to Jews and fall into anti-Semitism. Absolutely not. That is a disgusting idea. Sadly, people like Martin Luther said some terrible things in his writings about this, but he's straight on this, and he should have read this more closely. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you, and the root is Jesus, God, Father, and Spirit, Son, and Spirit. You will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Israel was grafted off. Granted, says Paul, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the rejecting people of Israel, he will not spare you either. Then he goes on in verse 22. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, that's the Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. There's the hope of Israel today. And there's our hope for Israel. We should love Israel. We should cherish the people of God to whom Jesus came for he is one of those people. He is their Messiah. We should pray for them. We should yearn for them that they will see because it's the greatest tragedy in the salvation story of God that God's people of Israel didn't see Jesus for who he is because they can be grafted back into their own olive tree. And then in Romans 11.25 he goes on and says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters. So that, you may become, uh, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now Paul has spent the whole letter defining Israel as the people of faith. So that's what he means here. We have become Jews if we're circumcised by the Spirit. We read that earlier in Romans 2. 
So here, all Israel is all the people of God from all history. They will be saved. The Jews, the Gentiles, all of us alike will be saved. He's using Israel here in the same way he does in Romans 9 verse 5. Where first of all, he says, not all Israel, physical, is Israel spiritual. He is doing the same thing. All He says Israel has experienced a hardening in part. That's the physical Israel, but spiritual Israel will be saved. We're one people, brothers and sisters. Read Ephesians 2. We're one body. The dividing wall of hostility is broken down. Jews who believe in Jesus, Gentiles who believe in Jesus, we're one people. Now God is continuing his work since creation. The first person we know for sure who was a man of faith, who's included in God's people, is Abel, who's mentioned by the writer of Hebrews. But I wouldn't write off Adam and Eve, even though they, they stuffed it up. So in conclusion, who are the people of God? For Paul, it's not Christians, those born Jews, Israel. For those who are born Jews who have rejected Christ before God before Christ and Jesus since are not saved. For now that Jesus has come, there's only one way to salvation, to believe in Jesus the Father. For Paul, now he's a Christian, He's realized that being born a Jew did not save you any more than being born a Christian saves you, right? Faith saves you. So a young, New a young Presbyterian from Glen Dowie Presbyterian has to grow up and come to a point of their own faith. You're not a Christian because of your parents' faith, although it helps. Israel by descent were never the people of God, but the people of God before Christ included the believers of God. From Israel and the nations. And the mistake Israel made, one of their mistakes was to think they were. By rights. Now that Christ has come, the church has not replaced Israel. That's a false idea. True Israel before Christ was all people, Jews and Gentiles, who believed in God like Abraham. And I should say Sarah. Let's give her some kudos here. Now added to these many believers are those who hear the gospel and believe. So today, and you're part of this. Any Jews in the room? Anybody with Jewish descent? Yeah. Well, we've got one. Brother, we have a Jewish man, or partly Jewish man, who believes in Jesus, sitting in a room full of Gentiles. And we're one, aren't we, Bill? We're one people. True Israel before Christ was all people, Jews and Gentiles, who believed like Abraham, now added to those of those who hear the gospel and believe. And God wants all the Gentiles to hear the gospel and believe. And until they've all heard the gospel, he's not coming back, because the full number has to come in. The people of God, then, is the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. True Israel is being extended and growing. It's a tree. There's no replacement. The church wasn't born at Pentecost. Is that a her heretical thing to say? The church was born when the first person believed in God. That's when the church was born. It's continued with many big stages, by the way. Pentecost is a big day. So, for Paul and the early church, neither Israel nor the church constituted the people of God. Israel and the church has people in them that believe and many that don't. Right? You know, you've heard about those Presbyterians. They get up at assembly and say all sorts of weird things, like the Bible, is, the Bible says this, but we believe this. And you go, yeah, alrighty then. As Jim Carrey would say, I want to see Ace Ventura as an evangelist. But anyway, Israel and the church had people in them that believe in others that don't. The people of God includes believers from Israel, the nations, and the church. The people of God are those who believed in God before Christ, like Abraham and Noah. And many others. Now the sun has come, those who believe the gospel message are added to them. These form the olive tree of God's people of faith. All Jews, Jews and Gentiles, are trapped under sin, 
They cannot earn their way to salvation. You can be the perfect Jew. By the way, Paul claims to be that in Philippians 3. He writes a list of his credentials, and then he says, and I'm going to swear in church, he says they're poo, because they gain him nothing. So he uses a swear word, so you can look that one up, scuba. Um, all peoples, Jews and Gentiles, are trapped under sin and cannot earn their way by becoming Jews and obeying the laws of Moses or any system. Jesus has fulfilled God's law. We can't do it. Jesus did. He invites us to believe in him. And he says, you believe in him, you're in me, in Christ. I pour my spirit into you and you are justified by faith. Now get out there and tell everyone else. Get out there and be led by my Holy Spirit and live the life I've got for you. Because you're my missionaries and ambassadors in the world. All we have to do is believe in him. We are saved and we're included in the new temple of God. John 2, Jesus is the temple, 1 Corinthians 3.16, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to build a temple in Jerusalem. I think some people are going to try. Christians should never be involved in that because we are the temple. Jesus is going to return to his temple to us. We are the temple. You don't need a physical temple. Acts 17, God does not dwell in buildings made of human hands. God's people are those who believe in God as revealed to them by God before Christ or before they hear about Christ and those who believe in God's Son when they hear the gospel. No race has any advantage before God, Israel, and otherwise. That's why when you're in a dominant culture, you have to be incredibly sensitive that you're not loading that onto people alongside the gospel. You've got to behave like us to fit in. Nah. Love should shape all of us. But you can come in and be culturally different. By the way, Christianity does not obscure culture. We celebrate culture, but all culture is critiqued by the gospel and needs to be redeemed. We're all saved in the same way. So where does this leave the people of Israel who reject Jesus? In the same place as all sinful people. They're destined for destruction unless they turn and believe and are grafted again into the olive tree of God's people of faith. So what do we make of the modern state of Israel? Well, it may have some significance in terms of the return of Christ, although that's becoming less and less likely, as many people have predicted the return of Christ since 1948 and 1967. It may have significance in terms of that, but it has nothing to do with salvation. Israel is a secular nation. I've been there. Lots of Muslims, lots of Jews, heaps more secular people. Tel Aviv is the gay capital of the Middle East as representative. Should we pray and yearn for unbelieving Israel? Amen. Yes, we should. We should pray for them the way Paul does in Romans 9, 1 to 3 and Romans 10 to 1. And lots of Christians have a burden for this because God still loves them and he yearns for them. So follow that if you have that yearning. Pray for them. If you're called to be a missionary to Israel, go and be one. Just as you should be for any other nation. But we should also do the same for all people who are lost in sin. Like most New Zealanders. Like... Most Māori, most Pākehā, Pacific Islanders, Asians, Africans, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics. We should love them and pray for them and we should share the gospel with them. That's what we're called to do. Because their hope is that they come to believe and become grafted into the olive tree and become Jews whose hearts are circumcised by the Spirit through faith. Then, when the end comes, people of every nation and tongue will gather together around the throne of God, singing, salvation belongs to our God. And there will be Paul and a whole lot of other Israelites, and Jesus will be on the throne. However, 
Many will be lost, for Peter says this. Now this is Peter in Acts 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. So you can see that the position of the reformers and the position that the Presbyterian Church took up in terms of understanding the people of God is consistent with that of Paul in the early church. Now in the 19th century we had some developments and people started to come up with interesting ideas. We call that dispensationalism and a lot of dispensationalists have given up on that. I work in what was a Brethren Bible College back in its day and it's full of old, or many of them are retired now, but full of old guys who came to study theology and realised they had that wrong. They had been led astray into that space by thinking that being born into a physical state of being a Jew gives advantage. Now it did up to the time of Christ, didn't it? Because they walked in relationship with this covenants and with God. But that actually makes them more culpable that they rejected Jesus when he came. When he came, they rejected him. It's a tragedy. So I want to encourage you to go home tonight over the next week and read Romans and maybe take note of those verses and pause on them and see the development of the thought. Then I want you to go and read Galatians and he argues the same thing but much more angrily. <laughs> because the Judaizers are attacking his church. So he's angry. And I encourage you to read Acts 15 because that will also help fill this in. And also to keep listening to the biblical story that, that Chris and Bex are telling you because the, the, the amazing thing is that God always wanted the whole world to be saved. He chose Abraham and then the nation of Israel for that purpose. And go to Genesis 12. Through him all nations will be blessed. And the blessing to the nations is now flowing. And it's been flowing since the first Gentile became a Christian. And it's going to flow because some people from this church and my church are going to go and do mission overseas. All that's left is to pray. Let's pray. Father God, I said we should pray for Israel, and I do. I pray for unbelieving Jews in this world. I pray, Lord, that somehow you would break through them by the power of God. That Jesus is their Messiah. He's not a false Messiah. He's not a false prophet. And they would turn to you. Lord, I pray for a great awakening of faith in that nation. Because, Lord, they must believe in you before you return if they're to be saved. So we do pray for that, Lord. We pray, Lord, that those who are descended physically from Abraham would become spiritual descendants of Abraham. But we pray for the whole world, Lord. We pray for New Zealand. We pray for Glendowie. We pray for the workplaces and the schools and the universities represented in this room. We pray that these people would hear the gospel. Believe the gospel. Confess that Jesus is Lord and be saved, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. We pray this church would continue to be passionate to take the gospel out into this place, into New Zealand, into the world, as you scatter them around the world as you do, Lord. And amazing things would happen as they share their faith into this COVID-stricken world where people are searching and yearning and just want to know what some answers are. Well, we've got the answer. His name is Jesus. Give us the courage, Lord, to embody that and to take it out with us as we go, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, and we give you all glory and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry I went on a bit long, but uh, it's a really technical issue. Feel free to come and ask me questions at the end. Thank you.